Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome to The Dividing Line. My name's James White. We're back in the big studio. We haven't been in here for so long, the rich has no idea how anything works anymore. So um, <laughs> he, he's, his, his uh, blood pressure is, is peaking right now. Uh, he would not be able to buy any life insurance right now uh, from anybody if they, if they did that life insurance test thing they do. So we're just going to hope everything uh, goes together. We, as everybody, no one cares about me being here. But we are joined today by a world-famous um, author, commentator, uh, cultural critic, um, and he does some music on the side. Um, and, and soon, soon, I hope and I believe to be wearing at minimally some really nice cardigan sweaters and eventually, uh, with time, um, I'm, I think I can get him up to the Kuji level. It, it's going to take some work. It really, really will. But we are joined today by my dear friend, John Cooper. Um, some of you may have, you know, <laughs> heard some songs he's written or something like that. I don't know. But obviously the big thing these days, John, is um, you've, you've decided to become a big-time author. And I just want to point something out. There. There's a couple things as we get started. First of all, First of all, I, I know I'm too small on the screen to see this, but this I have an age test for you. Ready? I'm ready, bud. Okay. All right. There's an age test. I am wearing a t-shirt that says specifically first annual WKRP turkey drop 1978. <laughs> Do you have any idea what the t-shirt is about? The only thing that crosses my mind is uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. Right. Okay, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. But what is their absolutely most famous skit ever was the Thanksgiving turkey drop. Uh, if you haven't seen it, now see, this is, this is amazing. I mentioned this to Summer and to Eric um, at Janie's birthday party this past weekend. And they were clueless. They had never even heard of it. And at least you know the theme song to WKRP, but you've not <laughs> seen the turkey drop? Well, I, I'm a little bit older than Summer. Um, I'm, well, just yeah. not, I'm, I'm just not ancient like you. So I, I, don't, I don't quite remember the episode. <laughs> okay, Rich, Rich just took offense to that because he's older than I am. So, um, but, but, um, but, okay, when we're done here, you're going you're gonna to go watch. You're going to go put turkey. All you got to do is put turkey drop into YouTube. It'll be the first thing that comes up. So every and, time I talk to you, you, you just do nothing but give me homework. Yesterday, you, <laughs> I, yesterday you told me I had to go study the diet of the diet of something which Spire. Uh, of Spire, and yes. um, you know I told you I knew all about the P90X diet, but I didn't know about the diet of Spire. I, I'm tired of the homework, man. I'm tired. Okay, of it. all right, but here's the next. But here's the next thing. <laughs> when when you and I first hooked up. In 2020, you hadn't written any books. You're, you're yes, true. every when we talked about anything, it was I'm just I'm just a rocker. And now <laughs> we we hook up, and two and a half years later, you're on your second book. How many footnotes in this beast? 
Uh, it's a lot. 648. 648 <laughs> footnote book. And you're hanging with people like Joe Boot and me and, and all sorts of theological weirdos like us. Um, do you, does, does Corey blame me for a lot of this or, or just where do I, what, what, what's actually going on there? <laughs> yeah. You know what I think it happened? I, I think it probably was because, um, about what, two months ago, I think, or was that just one month ago, we got to come to your 40, 40 year celebration, uh, for a, 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 a o m and, uh, I got to sit in your office <laughs> and 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 I was sitting in the office, and I don't want to be too mystical, but I, I felt a spirit come upon me, and I can only I can only say I think it's the spirit of the Kuji. The spirit <laughs> of the Kuji came upon me. I felt it, and and now I I think I'm almost ready to wear ugly sweaters. And uh, <laughs> don't go there. Man. Resist it. Don't go there. Resist look, it. Look, look, look. Okay, <laughs> they are not ugly sweaters. They are wearable art. Okay. Uh, and that you, was you the third like a, thing uh, I was going to say. Okay. I was, <laughs> would you stop it? Um, we're supposed to be professionals here. Come on. Um, yeah, we didn't even start. Rich couldn't even get the logo to work. When you can't get your own logo working, you're, you're pretty much out of the professional range. But the, the third thing I was going to do is I did want to sincerely uh, thank you and Corey for coming here. In fact, it was right through the, right through the wall right over there is where we were. Um, coming to our 40th anniversary celebration, that was a huge surprise. Uh, Josh and Summer uh, arranged that. Josh went and, and grabbed you guys, and I was totally and completely shocked and surprised and amazed, and it was really, really wonderful of you to do that. Uh, I'm not sure who then dragged you into having to talk. Um, someday you're <laughs> going to get to come to Apologia Church and do nothing. No talking, no singing, no performing. Just sit there and be blessed. That'll be uh, that'll be a whole lot of fun someday. But um, uh, I'm not sure. But I just wanted to thank thank uh, thank you and Corey for making uh, that effort because uh, I know your guys' schedule is absolutely insane, and uh, that was just a, another another trip through TSA. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, you guys don't fly all that much. You do a lot of driving. So do you have all the neat, cool TSA stuff or, or do you have to just <laughs> yeah. schlub it through with all the rest of us? Well, let's see. No, we, we, we don't, let's say we typically drive, but we do fly still a lot. I mean, probably 20 or 30 times a year. Um, and we do have a lot of things worked out. So it's just, it's just part of the gig. If you're going to be in a band, you kind of got to get, you got to fly planes, trains, and automobiles. We've done all of those things, <laughs> but it, it was, uh, we had a great time coming. I was really thrilled when when Summer and Josh hit me and said, "Hey, um, do you think you guys can make it?" And I honestly was like, "Everything's booked. I'm not sure. We're going to see what the schedule is." I couldn't believe it actually worked out, and, and we were on a fly date. We had flown to California and played at a at a metal festival, um, and uh, with a with a bunch of bands like Tool and Limp Biscuit. And I told Corey, I said, "I bet we're the only we're the only artists ever that went from a playing with Tool to going to a uh, James, Dr. James White thing." But it was really fun. It was a an honor to be there. And so, as you know. I'm just blessed with uh, your friendship and blessed with uh, the mentoring that you've done for me, taking my phone calls, sent me good stuff to study, uh, a better 
better things than WKRP's turkey <laughs> roast or whatever you're talking about now. But uh, turkey drop, turkey it. drop. I appreciate it. Look, turkey it's going to become it your favorite thing from 1978 when you see it. So. Uh, of course, that means it's got to be better than Battlestar Galactica, which was loosely based on Mormonism. If oh, I'm no, it wasn't it loosely based on Mormonism. Let me tell you <laughs> something, buddy. Uh, I think I've told you this, but every yeah. writer was a returned Mormon missionary. And I actually fired up a couple of the first episodes recently while I was writing indoors, and I was stunned at how Mormon it was. I mean, the language, the terminology, it was... Astonishing. But yeah, uh, look, Battlestar Galactica wasn't meant to be funny. I mean, Starbuck tried to be funny, but really normally wasn't all that funny. Um, but yeah, you look, as soon as we're done, ask Corey if she knows it, first of all. All right, I will. And then look it up, and you're going to love it, and you're going to go, man, I don't know how I missed that seat. James has shown me something else to look at in life. But Anyways, all that stuff uh, aside, by the way, the Diet of Spire, if you know that the Diet of Spire is where the term Protestant came from and that it wasn't that we were protesting Roman Catholicism, it was that the minority was protesting the majority's removal of their religious liberty rights, then you know a whole lot more than pretty much everybody back on October 31st who was posting the stuff with Martin Luther banging something on the, the Wittenberg door which really didn't happen either. Uh, so see, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that when you get to book like number 20, you're gonna have to like dedicate one of them to me or something because I, 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 I pointed you in the right direction. <laughs> so, Agreed, all right, it's a deal. Speaking of books, uh, okay, so I don't remember it was, uh, I don't remember exactly when it was that uh, you started sending me various versions of a particular chapter. I think it was sort of the heart of the book, the main, the main chapter. Because I remember you were making changes in like a red or pink colored font type thing. Um, and we went through a lot of changes because unlike the first book, which was more... I would sort of call it more of an evangelistic book, um, you know, something you want to give unbelievers, uh, you know, sort of general worldview topics leading to a gospel presentation type of a situation. That's not what you're doing here, and you had to make a lot of decisions. And you'll remember my, you know, my repetitive statement was, well, who exactly do you want to communicate to? Who, who? Who exactly are you going for here? That's, that's going to determine whether you do some of the things you're wanting to do or are concerned about doing or worried that might distract. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on, and it all comes back to who's your audience. So did you sort of scratch an itch with the first book, and then all the Cooper stuff, webcasts you've been doing, dealing with stuff internally to the church, created the next itch uh, which is, man, there's some really bad stuff coming into the church. I need to address this. Is that sort of how you'd see it going on? Yeah, I think that's probably definitely in the mix for sure. Uh, and you are right. The first book was was more of a basic kind of worldview situation. I do think it was good for people who um, don't know Christ. 
also found that it was good for a lot of people who've been in church, maybe even for years, but never really fully understood what the basics of the faith, uh, you know, really is. And there's a lot of those kind of people. Um, and I can relate to that certain things going, oh, how, how could I have missed that this whole time I've been in church? And, but since then, a, as the problems in the world are getting crazier and as I'm seeing, um, you know, as I t- began my relationship with you and you were sending me, Hey, have you heard of these people or these people? And I started getting online, finding out, the players finding out who's saying what the shocking things that evangelical leaders are saying. Some of our big evil leaders or the institutional regime church people are so shocking that, that I just had this naivety, you know, this naivety that was just dying. And uh, I just felt like somebody needs to say this in a way that, that the ordinary people can understand ordinary moms and dads that don't have time to sit around you know, uh, reading every book ever, but they're just going, how is this happening at my church? Why is my, why is my church starting to say A, B, or C? Or why is my kid coming home with a material telling my kids that, that, that they could be boys or girls or neither or both, or it could change every day. Their gender could be fluid. Why are these things happening? Why are there drag queens showing up at the public library with little kids and all of these questions? And now, most recently, why is uh, why are our college kids in America cheering on right. Hamas as Hamas is as brutally doing some of the most just demonic things I've ever seen on video? Okay, um, raping people, uh, butchering babies putting babies in, in in ovens and cooking them. Why are people in America cheering that on? And I'm sure you've seen the same t- statistics as me. I think it's Americans age 18 to 24, 51% of them support what Hamas did. They say it was justified. Why is that happening? And I thought all of these things are under a rubric to me of utopianism. And it's seeped into the church and one of the things you'll be interested in that I, I don't know if I've said on any podcast because most people won't really care, but I, as I kept digging into it, I began discovering some of it has seeped into the church, certainly not a surprise under uh, progressive Christianity or just liberal Christianity, but uh, other times it seeped into the church and some of our reformed friends because of what I call in the book a, a faux post-millennialism. It's, it's a post-millennial view of the kingdom going into the world and um, making the wrong things right, bringing kingdom justice, but their ideas of kingdom justice are not biblically based. They're, they're really no different than secular humanism, but they, they, they've they misunderstood what the gospel of the kingdom is. As I started understanding that, I said, oh, this is in our own camp. This is the post-millennial reform people, in some cases, really preaching some of this really evil stuff. And so I just felt like maybe I could lay it out in a way that the ordinary layperson could understand. Well, I'll be honest, a couple things. Um, I don't know if you've seen this because this only, I only started seeing this last night briefly. And then I saw a little bit more this morning, uh, this, um, TikTok videos of, of people reading Osama bin Laden's letter to America and all, and, and all these people going, Wow, we were wrong to have gone after Osama bin Laden, yep. and just stuff like this, where you're you're realizing that the the young generation 
has been sold a, a bill of goods. They've been given a worldview that's utterly untenable. It can't last. It can't, it can't lead to human flourishing. But they've embraced it via emotionalism, and it, it's frightening. It truly, truly is frightening yes. because you know they will, they will be the ones determining who's in office if they're not already within a very short period of time, and that, that's going to change everything. But the other thing yes. is, you know, you mentioned, I, I remember more than once in our conversations over the past couple of years that you would ask a question like, but, but how can fill-in-the-blank famous reform person um, say such and such a thing? And there was a part of me that was, that was almost hesitant to have to to have to fill you in, basically, um, and say, well, um, yeah, you may have been really blessed by this person in this area or that area, but here's how this works. And uh, I had to explain to you going to Fuller Theological Seminary and being their token fundamentalist and having to deal with the progressive perspective in my seminary education and figuring out years and years later yeah, that, that was purposeful. The Lord had, a, had an intention in that. That's become very important in my apologetic ministry to be able to understand where these folks are coming from. But at the same time, it's, it, you're not the first person that I've had to say, yeah, well, there's a lot of views out there that you, you sort of wonder exactly how someone did, did buy into it. And it's, it's hard to keep the balance of being able to go, yeah, but I was, I was blessed by them over in this area. Yeah, and you still can be. The Lord can use them in that way, but you have to be discerning. You have to recognize when there's other, other stuff coming into play. And so that, that was definitely a thought in the back of my mind, uh, even on that first long phone call that we had. Remember, I was driving down from Flagstaff uh, when we first talked, that big long uh, one there. And, and it's just sort of like, yeah, um, sadly, you have to learn to um, be blessed by the things that are blessable. Uh, and, and then take the rest of it and go, yeah, not so much on that one. Uh, we need to you know, try to bring some correction there, bring some light to this area, things like that. And that's really, that's really tough because that's not something you do based on emotions. That's something you do based upon a commitment to objective truth. And that's not a popular position to be holding today. It's certainly mm. not a popular position in your industry. Um, so let's talk for a minute about the fact that, well, what have I said to you over and over again as you were writing the book? It's like, my, my line, whenever you'd share something with me, my line would be, well, your manager's going to love this one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's you, right. You know, I said it more than once. It's like, you know, the, does, is this person on blood pressure meds? Just, you know, uh, are they reading this too? Because you're having to say things that put you outside of the comfort zone of your industry. I mean, let's just be honest. You really, you really, really are. And so far, you're such a big juggernaut that you're, you're surviving it. You do such a good job in presenting it that I think a lot of people are a little hesitant to take you on directly but there are lots of people on the sidelines that are lobbing hand grenades your direction. Um, why, uh, why take the risk? Yeah, you said that. You said it to me a whole bunch of times. You say, 
what does your manager think about this? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just such crazy times. I mean, the truth is that I truly wish we could rewind the clock and make make everything like it was in 2008 and 2007. That would be really great. I mean, that was an enjoyable time of life. <laughs> we but we really are coming to it's like it's like the lies of pluralism and the lies of 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 like I, I would almost call it like globalization almost, you know, or or multiculturalism or tolerance or i don't know what you want to call it all of those lies are, are we basically have the fruit of it now right eventually eventually people are going to follow their worldview down the path and at some point it's we can't keep saying peace peace when there is no peace and i think that that's what happened with me i got to the point when i just said okay wait a minute all right at the point in which we have whether it's christian musicians christian worship leaders or whether it's Christian pastors like you know Joshua Harris and and people like that, and and maybe even more currently what we see happening with people like Andy Stanley and stuff. At the point in which we have all of these people saying such unorthodox things, or even just flat out leaving the faith and just you know setting fire to the church when they leave, or setting fire to the gospel when they leave, we cannot sit silent with these things. In fact, it's why, James, I've, I've actually got a physical book here. I'm going to show, show people what it looks like. Here's what it looked like. So the, the cover is a little bit alarmist. <laughs> people <laughs> say, it's, it's burning. Well, I actually don't think it's that alarmist. Once you have 51% of a generation cheering on Hamas and beginning to say, you know what? Maybe Bin Laden had a point. Maybe America is the bad ones. You know, it's like once you you do that, you realize we really are at the the demise of of a nation. And so you got to ask yourself some questions like, what is it that you guys, you you people cheering on the destruction of America, what would you like to replace it with? What what do you right. think is going to be better than that? You know, and right. what we're seeing in the Christian music world now. Uh, it's just like, hey, if we don't stand against this now, this apostasy in a Christian music, there will be no such thing as Christian music. And and in fact, you probably could make an argument to what degree is it even Christian music anymore anyway? I mean, it's, it's not like it, it used to be. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like the good old days were perfect. You've always had compromise in right. every in every institution. But you used to at least know that if you were going to a Christian bookstore, people were at least going to do their best to pretend <laughs> that we yeah. were all thinking about something we believed in. And now there's no pretense. Right. And the truth is, is that most Christians don't even really super care either. Um, I mean, I've spent the last two weeks being rebuked by people, by Christians, because I, you know, said something about dr drag queens coming to the Dove Awards, you know, right. people that call them, call themselves Christians coming in drag. And, 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 and I, I, you spend two weeks getting rebuked by people about it. And you just go, my Lord, uh, Jesus come quickly, you know? So anyway, I am not uh, pessimistic about the end, meaning I, I trust God's providence. I, I believe in the power of the Holy spirit through the church, 
I believe in the power of the gospel to change lives, but we have a job to do, and the church has got to wake up. You know, you mentioned being rebuked for the past couple of weeks um, over a situation that I've, I've shared with you um, lo long before you and I ever uh, hooked up. You, you sent me, you sent me a, a picture uh, a couple weeks ago. You all were watching uh, one of my debates on the bus, driving somewhere. I forget where it was. Uh, I think you said, this is how rock stars take the day off or something like that. And it was watching a, a, a debate that I had done. Well, years ago, I was contacted by a Christian um, artist group uh, that was doing the exact same thing. And it was Cademan's Call. And I was contacted by Derek Webb. And so um, we had contact. It's, it's not that once the wheels fell off, he ever contacted me. He didn't. Um, I wish he had. I don't know what I necessarily could have done for him before everything uh, fell apart. But there have been um, those, those times. And um, obviously, I couldn't say much to what happened at the Dove Awards, but you, you certainly could. Because didn't you guys win something as well? Yes, we were not there, but yes, we did. Yeah, OK. So I mean, you can say something. You, you've got standing. They, they could care less what in the world I have to say. Um, but yeah, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a tough situation. The other thing that most people don't know, and this surprised me, is that you were a postie before I was. And oh, right. 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 In <laughs> fact, you said once that if I listened to the earliest albums that Skillet did, that I would be able to see post-millennial themes in the songs and the way you put it once was, but I don't really write them anymore because no one understood what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, there's a level of truth to that. But yeah, you go back to some of those earliest when you were, when you were a blonde, um, uh, baby-faced kid, uh, basically. Uh, there were there was post-millennial uh, themes in uh, in a lot of the. A lot of the earlier uh, albums, and so you were there before before I was, and so you're coming at this not from where most people are coming at this, and that is a dispensational premillennial background that's sort of determining how you're going to look at world world events. You're coming to this book, and you're seeing a utopianism, and there is a utopianism in. The WEF, WHO, globalist, secular idea that if we just um, establish these secular standards, that all's going to be well. You're going to you're going to own nothing and be happy about it. La 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 stuff. Um, you're you're coming to that stuff, and you know what it means to have a positive hope for the future, but you have to differentiate that in light of sin, redemption, the reality of life in this world from the utopianism of the secular perspective, which ignores all that, ignores sin, ignores redemption, ignores the law. Um, so how do, you, how do you communicate to your audience? Which, because at one point we had a discussion. Um, I remember I was in the RV. Um, that doesn't tell me much, but I remember I was in the RV. 
And you said something along the lines of you were, I think you had put in a discussion or a definition of some of the millennial views, and then you were going to take it out. You remember that? Mm. Yes, I do. And yes, what did, that's right. What did you end up doing along those lines? Because how, how do you make the distinction between what you call the, the faux utopianism or faux post-millennialism and a biblical perspective with an audience that not, doesn't necessarily know what any of those background issues are? Yeah, yeah. So here's, here's kind of how I did it. Um, maybe I'll, I'm going to rewind a little bit, if that's all right, James, and Please. give people um, a little bit of understanding about why I'm writing this utopia thing. I started thinking, okay, there's been some really great Christian books uh, on certain issues. For instance, I loved Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham was fantastic. Um, I loved uh, Carl Truman's book. It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, I believe is what it's called. Um, Live Not by Lies, Rod Dreher. So th there's a lot of great books focused on different things. Uh, my friend John Harris from Conversations That Matter podcast wrote Social Justice Goes to Church. That was really great on the social justice movement. And I was saying, what do all of these things have in common? And what they all have in common is that they are trying to reach utopia, a perfected society of equity. You have, you have the racial equity, you have the Marxism, the sort of economic equity you have the neo-marxist which breaks everybody up into gender sex race you know you have all of that kind of equity you have the uh communist america is the biggest oppressors on the planet earth you have all of these things then of course you have the sexual revolution the sexual utopia people all of this is about creating this utopia and what i wanted to do for people is rather than just go off on these ideas. I wanted to give people what the original writers said. And the reason is, is because probably like a lot of people watching your show in the last three years, I've had dozens of conversations with Christian people, Christian people who I consider brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are butting heads. We're butting heads on BLM. We're butting heads on COVID, on whether churches should be locked down. These are people that were mad at Pastor MacArthur for opening up his church. These are people that would have hated apologia for sure. <laughs> um, you know, we're butting heads on literally everything, but but we're they're Christians and we're brothers and I'm trying to make it work. And I will say something negative about fill in the blank, critical race theory. 20, 30 times somebody said, John, you don't even know what critical race theory is. That's just a right-wing talking point. They don't teach that in school. It's only a legal theory. And mm. every time I've had that conversation, I want to rip my hair out because I, I do know what critical race theory is. And in fact, it sounds like my opponent doesn't know what it is. Right, right. They're just repeating a left-wing talking point, right. which says that I'm just giving a right-wing talking point. So what I did in the book, as I said, there's nearly 650 footnotes from, from all the original folks, Hegel, Marx, Engels, um, Freud, Nietzsche, critical theorists, Marcuse, into the postmodern era, Foucault, Der Derrida, and all these people since with critical whiteness studies, so that the Christian can see the words and realize how much these people hated God. 
Yeah. They they don't even pretend to not hate God. They are passionately um, vocal about hating God. And so that is the utopian aspect. What I don't dig about the faux post-millennial, that's what I call it, the faux post-millennial aspect, is a is a and by the way, I, I don't talk about eschatology a lot. I'm not a theologian. I could never go into a debate and win if it came to that. And I never Yet. divide I would never divide over eschatology. The one thing I really want to do is encourage Christians, whatever your eschatology is, is in your life to live victoriously. So so you might not believe in the in the quote unquote victorious church on earth, but certainly certainly you agree that Christ has been victorious over the power of sin in our lives and you have the power through the Holy Spirit to put that thing to death. And that is what so drew me to post-millennialism actually was realizing, oh, you mean I don't I don't have to live in sin as a Christian? Uh, like, of course, I'm going to keep sinning, but I'm talking about patterns of sin and addiction and this and the other. You mean through the power of the Spirit, I can overcome those things because of the work of Christ on the cross? That blew me away. And so the thing I don't like about faux post-millennialism is that they typically are very morally confused. And I'm, I, I realize I'm making a generalization, but these people are morally, it's almost like they think everybody's going to get saved. And because everybody's going to get saved or be nice to each other, then everything's just going to miraculously happen. And people are no longer going to commit sins against their neighbors. Well, that's just utopianism. Right. That's you, you, that like God gave us a law for a reason so that we can understand who he is. And so the law is a school teacher, the Bible says. So from the law, I understand what is wrong and what is right. And part of glorifying God, in my understanding, in the post-millennial uh, eschatological dominion worldview is that we glorify God by using his moral law to institute our civil law. And that is how we bless the world. That's how we know what is actually righteous. What I see in the faux, the faux post-millennial camp is they are basically just taking on the secular philosophies of the world, like critical race theory or you know reparations and this and the other, and saying, see, that's what the kingdom of God would do because they're helping the poor but they look just like the secular utopians. They're never at odds with the secular utopians. How often have you seen a Christian, um, you know, post mill, somebody like, you know, Eric Mason or somebody like that? I don't actually know his eschatology, but he mm. talks about this gospel of the kingdom a lot. How many times have any of those people ever stood up for the unborn? Ever. How many of those people have ever stood against? radical gender theory how many of them have stood against the the mutilation of teenagers because of this the the the, the gender theory madness that we are seeing how many of them have stood up against um uh, uh palestine there's this hamas and, and and not palestine but hamas and and these evil things they never stand up for any of those justice issues because those justice issues are considered to be quote unquote conservative or whatever they are, they only stand up for justice when the neo-Marxists have told them they are supposed to. And I think that's a very telling thing. 
Well, remember that uh, Eric Mason has called for an ecumenical church council uh, to declare me a heretic. Um, so um, then there's that. So I don't think he's done that for you yet, but you, you, the book might get you there. We'll, we'll see if we can. We'll, <laughs> we'll see if we can get you uh, condemned as a heretic by some ecumenical council just for the fun of it while we're, while we're at it. Um, by the way, uh, I've, I've come up with a new term for you while I was listening to you talking. It'll, it, it's a whole lot easier to say on webcasts. Instead of faux post-millennialism, just call it FOPO. 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 I like that. Just FOPO. I like will, that. That'll, be, that'll get, you, get you through interviews a lot, lot faster. So, so the, this idea of a utopia, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that people on our side have been uh, clear enough in warning about this. I, I don't know if you remember, the, um, there was a video that came out about two years ago of this, uh, this, did you see this? It's like built in a desert. It's this city that's like yeah. this narrow, you know, it, you know we're, we're talking about 15-minute cities and stuff like that, which is also known as a concentration camp, but 15-minute cities, um, and this, this city with it, that you can cram all these people into, and it's all it's so uh, easy and all the rest of this stuff. And I'm sitting here going, all of this ignores the fact that you're cramming these people into a tiny little space and you're not changing their hearts. And we're watching the crime that is taking place around the world, but especially in Western cultures right now, because we have abandoned the moral constraints that had, even when, even when the explicit beliefs had sort of gone by the wayside, there was still the, the tradition that sort of held things together. That's falling apart now. And you, cram, you try to cram everybody into these utopian spaces, and it's going to result in incredible degradation this is not how humanity flourishes because you know whether you use the term or not what you were just talking about regarding god's law is called theonomy and there are people that freak out when you even use that term but obviously we're sitting in a situation today where the world is because of its the encroachment of secularism and its worldview the only way you can come up with this is right and this is wrong is you start by manipulating people's emotions. You start by uh, doing what we've done with the uh, indoctrination system, not the education system, it's not education, the indoctrination system and removing from people the capacity to do serious critical thought. And then you try to get them to go some direction that grants power to these people but then to get to utopia, you eventually have to use tyranny. You have to use power to force people um, to do what you want them to do. There's no basis for liberty. There's no basis for freedom. There's no basis for any kind of human flourishing in those situations. And of course, what we've been saying all, all along was, if mankind wants to flourish, we need to flourish in the light of God's truth because we are God's creatures. But secularism says we're yes. just a bunch of bags of fizzing chemicals. And the only way to get all the bags of fizzing chemicals to fizz the same way is through the use of tyrannical power. And so yes, we see that right. going. We have a communist dictator 
guilty of genocidal murder of the Uyghurs, imprisoning of Christians all across his land, in the United States right now, being treated like a king. And so many of the young generation is like, oh, isn't it wonderful what they do over there? And we're, we're, we're just left going, well, you know, when you, when you take over a system that forced everybody to go for eight hours a day to be indoctrinated, I guess this is what you end up getting um, on the other side. And so you raised the, 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 the statement, and that's the question here. All right, let's say the wheels fall off. Um, let's say there's a, a period of real darkness heading the world's direction. Um, this is not sustainable. Uh, secularism cannot cause human flourishing in this world. So somebody has to be saying, this is how you rebuild when all of this comes crashing down. So it seems to me that some of the tensions that I, you know, I, I don't get the feeling you're a super huge, you know, like really check it frequently social media guy, but because you do Cooper stuff, you've got to be on there enough to see some of the trends that are happening. But it seems to me that part of the argument going on amongst Christians is between those who want to try to go back and rescue what we thought we had and those who recognize it's too late for that, we have to be looking forward to building something new. And that's still an, that's still an area of valid, I think, disagreement, dialogue, discussion, and stuff like that. What do you think? Where, 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 do you sort of, where are you sort of feeling right now? It, I mean, because from my perspective, hey, the only, the only way this mess is going to be rescued is a massive work of the Spirit of God in bringing tremendous repentance. I mean, just, you know, uh, I, I don't even yeah. know how to describe it. Uh, that would be the only way. Um, mm -hmm. When I look at Scripture, it seems to me most of the time when something like this has happened, it's come after major judgment, after, you know, um, Israel goes to Babylon, the temples burn to the ground, there's nothing left type, type situation. Um, normally it's judgment that ends up bringing that along, but God can do what he wishes. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I want to read this scripture, which I'm sure you've probably read on your show a billion times, but this is Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, uh, verse, starting in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be accompanied by the working of Satan with every kind of power, sign, and false wonder, and with every wicked deception directed against those who are perishing, because they refused the love of the truth that would have saved them. For this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they believe the lie in order that judgment may come upon all who have disbelieved the truth and delighted in wickedness. I mean, I think that that is exactly what's happening now. I think things are worse than what a lot of Christians, um, th than what a lot of us think it is. And if I could kind of rewind a little bit about the utopian thing, I think one of the things that Christians don't know, because this is so crazy, it's so crazy, a lot of Christians go, yeah, I know that's not true, so they don't study it deeply, don't blame them. But they got to really understand what these utopians believe in. You're talking about the tiny wall where, where all seven right. or eight, eight billion people on the whole planet are going to live. And um, 
We got to understand what these utopians believe. From Marx to all the way to now, they have never been shy about admitting that in order for this, well, number one, they believe that man is going to evolve into a new Superman. Marx even calls him a Superman. Um, it will become a, a, a man will recreate himself. Nietzsche called it, calls it the Ubermensch. Um, you see this writing through the critical theories. As man becomes liberated, man becomes a new kind of a man. Well, what does that new man look like? Well, that new man is perfected. And Marx, and none of them are shy about saying, in order for man to be perfected, there's going to have to be tyranny. They're not shy about that. They're yeah. like, yeah, we're going to have to force people to do it because people still have these old habits like eating, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like having like children, and, having a family. Yeah. Having a family, owning, owning a thing, owning right. something. They say, yeah, there'll be tyranny, but then we're going to reach a new level. Then you've got in 1935, Wilhelm Reich, who is a Freudo Marxian. He was, he's a Marxist, but he was a student of Freud. He worked with Freud. He's the author of the book, the sexual revolution. That is the book. They call him the father of the sexual revolution that inspired the 1960s free love movement. And this and the other. So he wrote these pseudo scientific, you know, things. And he took, he said, well, the problem with Marx and with Lenin, excuse me, the problem with Lenin is that Lenin did not take Marxism far enough because Lenin did not really include the sexual revolution. It included the economic but you can't truly have an economic revolution to create the Superman without the sexual revolution to create this Superman. So how are you going to create this, the sexual revolution? Well, you have to unleash sexuality as early as possible. So he, he, he talked about the free sexual rights of children. He, um, talks I'm, and I'm not trying to be shocking on the show, but he talks about babies need to have orgasms. Children need to have sex with each other. Um, adults need to watch children's have sex with each other, all sorts of the most godless demonic stuff I've ever read. But this is a guy that was hailed as a hero all the way from Hollywood to the critical theorist to, uh, you know, the New York times uh, to all of the, all, all of the people what they believed was that once man was liberated sexually and he evolves into his new superhuman state, then man is not going to commit crimes anymore yeah. because, a, because a man who is, who is sexually free and has become a superman, he doesn't want to commit any sort of sexual crime. He, he doesn't need to steal because he has everything he needs because he is now the Superman and the state has the power to give him everything he needs. And the only reason people do anything wrong is because they've suffered trauma from society. So I don't think the Christians have understood how deeply these people are messed up. Yeah. So all that to say, imposed tyranny will lead to the Superman. Then they can put us in that little wall that you're talking about with your little bitty um, living space and nobody's going to hurt each other because we're going to live in bliss and we're going to save the earth in the meantime. <laughs> so I, I guess how I would answer your question is, is I do think you're right. There are some wonderful conversations that need to be had in terms of 
all right, how do Christians move forward? And and I'm I'm all up for those conversations. I see good on both sides, to be honest with you. The the one thing that I do not think is good that I am 100 percent against is the Christians calling for pietism. It's the Christians saying, James or Cooper, you need to stop talking about, you know, like when they when they see my book cover, they freak out because it's got an American flag on it. Like I'm involved in some sort of idolatry or something like that. And like I like I've confused America with, with like Israel, like spiritual right. Israel. I don't know. I don't even know what they're talking about. But this idea that America doesn't matter at all. The government doesn't matter at all. Law doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about the gospel only. I don't know why they don't realize the tyranny that is imposed hurts Christians, atheists, everybody. It hurts everybody, and it brings us all to tyranny. That's the one thing that I just don't really have much patience for. But I do agree with you that if we're ever going to see any sort of true um, reformation in our culture, it has to begin with revival. It begins in the church. It, it, let's say it like this. It begins with, with revival, which is a an actual true outpouring of the Spirit where you are talking about millions of people repenting of their sin, repenting of hating God, repenting of hating His ways, coming to Christ and being changed. But if I've understood my liter my my literature on the histories of revivals and i'm pretty sure i have understood it revival always begins with the church calling out for a revival of holiness amongst god's people right. if god's people would just cry out for holiness and repent of our sin and repent for the fact that we embrace pornography in the church. We embrace abortion in the church. We embrace radical gender theory and drag queens coming to the double wars. And even if we don't embrace it, we embrace it with our silence. We embrace it with people. And I'm not trying to be a, a huge jerk, but I guess I just say I'm a bit of a jerk because I got to call these people out. We embrace it silently with when, when people like Andy Stanley say what they are saying about sexuality and, and, and you have people who know the Bible, people like me. I'm not a theologian, but I know the Bible well enough that I listen to what he's saying. And I go, what is he saying? <laughs> what does he mean? When you have people who love the Bible go disagreeing, you know, if you listen to Andy Stanley, you get 10 theologians. They would all say, sounds like he's saying something different to me. We don't really know. What is the point of that? And so I, I say, Revival has got to start in the church crying out to God that we would truly be salt and light. And I believe if we were salt and light, there are enough people in this country, we would see a wave of revival happen because it would be a clarion call to repent and be born again. And to me, it's just the church is just impotent and just unholy. We've just put up with too much. I think you'll uh, find interesting this morning, um, Dr. Albert Moeller on his program called The Briefing uh, spent, a, a, well, the whole, the whole program, he normally doesn't do that, he normally does different segments, but he did the whole program on what's going on in Indiana uh, with the Kinsey Institute. Um, uh, I guess the, the state legislature has pulled funding from the Kinsey Institute at the university 
uh, because of just how vile you were talking about Reich and you were talking about the sexual revolution. Well, Kinsey's book in 1948 was central to all of that as well. It's the very same stuff. It was he was clearly involved with pedophilia and all sorts of, of I mean, he, he himself was a just horrific sexual pervert. And yet, since it was Dr. Kinsey, even though, and it's fascinating, uh, if you ever, I'm sure you've listened to, because I've told you to listen to it, and if you haven't, don't tell me you haven't, because I've told you to listen to it so many times, uh, the, <laughs> the, the Bonson-Stein debate between uh, Greg Bonson and Gordon Stein. Stein, so many of these atheists, uh, debaters are scientists, but their their PhD dissertation was in some kind of you know strange invertebrate animal or something. It has nothing to do with what they're talking about now. And this, that was the same way. He was he was an expert in some kind of slug or something, but he was given this overarching authority to tell everybody um, about human sexuality and specifically. Again, uh, the, the normalcy of what we would call deviance in the youngest children and that all those things were good and right and proper. And so you have this, this onslaught, but there was so much Christian um, uh, belief in this nation that has taken decades for that onslaught to eat through that foundation and just now the foundation starts crumbling all around us. Um, you know, you talked about how nice it was in 2007, 2008, but the reality was the termites were very, very active in, and had been active for decades. And it's not until the floorboards start falling out that we start seeing the foundational elements of all this kind of stuff around us. But it, you might want to catch uh, today's briefing because uh, it was very interesting, the information about uh, Kinsey and, and Moeller kept saying, I can't say anything more, but it's in the books, uh, you know, because it's just so, so vile as to what these individuals were doing. So yeah, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but um, I do know that we need to have our young people uh, trained and grounded in not just a vague Christian worldview, but a heartfelt commitment to the fact that they are the creatures of God, that if my, grand my grandchildren, my, my grandsons are being taught that there is a, a calling of God upon them as a man, to be a man, to fulfill God's calls upon their life. My granddaughters are being taught that it's beautiful to be a woman, a life giver, a mother, a nurturer, that these are different roles and that God gave them those roles. In other words, they need to have a more passionate commitment to what the Bible teaches they are than the secular wackos out there that are, have been taken over by this cultic thinking that will destroy them, but they are committed to their worldview. They are yes. committed to their cult, and they're willing to give their lives for it. Well, um, you know, uh, pizza parties 
after church on Sunday night are not going to be enough to produce the kind of dedication. There needs to be a, a sincere focus upon grounding our young people um, in what God's Amen. called them to be. And yes. um, that, that's, you know, those are the next generations. They're, they're the ones that, um, that need to be doing it. So we need, we need some skillet anthems um, on the goodness of being uh, called to be a man, the goodness of being called to be a woman, uh, the, the beauty of the family. Um, let's get to it, man. <laughs> let's get, let's I'm get putting, to it, I'm putting, man. I'm putting an order in right now. Uh, we, we need, we, we need, we need some, you know, uh, dominion. My, my, my son called dominion, uh, the, the greatest post-millennial theme song ever, uh, mainly because of the guitar solo, but we need, you know, I'm not sure about that part, but, but, uh, uh, we, we, you know, so I'm putting the order in. What do you think? Any, any possibilities? I like it. Yeah, your, uh, Josh, your son Josh had texted me that same thing, and I and I said, "Yeah, let's go." I loved it, um, man. I, I you know I love what you just said, James, and I I wouldn't mind expounding upon it very quickly if I could. Um, we'll see if it's quick. But one of my favorite things in the book is really what you just talked about. I think that, that what we focused on when I was growing up in church, I was taught manhood. I was taught womanhood. I was taught. Um, what the Bible says, all wonderful stuff. But I always understood it as, hey, this is what the Bible says, so therefore we need to do it because that's what God says. All true, love it. What I wasn't really taught so much and what I speak about a lot in the book is that God created a moral universe and he created the moral law and his moral law coincides with his moral universe. So in other words, when we say, you just said, we need to teach kids to have a passion. Some of what you're talking about is the design of God. He created the world to work in a certain way and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's good to obey God, but it's deeper than that. It's also the fact that when you obey God, you find that you are in the flow of the good world that he created in the book. I call it being in the flow of the kingdom because that's the way he created his, his world, his world to be. And I think that sometimes Christians, especially if they lean towards a little bit more pietism, they tend to think that when we talk about these things, tyranny, uh, all the list of stuff we've talked about today, they tend to go, Oh, why are you involved in all this culture war? We're not trying to make, we're not trying to force people to, to, to do things the way we want them to do them. What they don't understand is that part of why we're saying this is because we love these people. We care for these people. And if they buck against the created order, there's going to be consequences. So here's an example I give in the book. What if God had created the reproduction process in such a way that only same-sex intercourse could produce children? In other words, a man and a man having sexual intercourse or a woman and a woman having sexual intercourse. That's the only way you could produce children. But then God's moral law says man shall not lay with man as he lays with a woman. Well, all of a sudden you would find out that God's moral law is working against the very world he created. Right. So the only way you can please God 
leads you to a life that does not produce and does not flourish and things don't actually go well with you, but at least you're pleasing God. But that's not what he did. And I think if we can train young people, yes, in worldview, yes, in obedience to Christ, but also saying, but God's laws are not arbitrary. They are reasonable. They work. And God created man and a woman to be complementary. And once you see it and you see that man and woman fit together physically, sexually, spiritually, emotionally, et cetera, it's actually beautiful. And you find yourself in a place where you are thriving. And so I wanted to say that because it also ties back into the last question of how do we give a positive vision for the future? How can Christians, what do we do? What do we do in a world that is given over to delusion? In fact, maybe because people hated the truth, God is giving them over to an even stronger delusion. Mm -hmm. What are we to do with that? Well, I would say this, implement the principles of the kingdom of God, and you will find that the people of God are going to flourish in a way that the world just isn't. And, and I'll just give you this one example. It's so natural, but it's kingdom principles. Everybody knows it. They've seen the literature. Who do you think is going to flourish more? A, a child who was raised in a two-parent family or a one-parent family? Right. A, child, a child that's raised with parents that said, you are a boy. And that is a wonderful thing. You are a girl. And that is a wonderful thing. Or the child that's raised when they say, hey, you might be a girl. You might be a boy. You could be both. You could be neither. You could be a, a unicorn. You could be two spirit. We, only <laughs> you can know from your own inner feelings. Who do you think is going to flourish more? And we could we could go down that line. We have right now in our schools, People are taught that math is racist. Two plus two can equal five, yada, yada, yada. There's no objective truth. Who's going to flourish more? The Christian who understands that God created his world with absolutes and objective truth or the kid that doesn't believe that? Well, all of those things exist. We could keep going down the list. I just believe the problem is, is that we have not been teaching these generations to do it. And that's the reason why truthfully, as sad as it is, the levels of pornography in the church are not all that different than they are in the world. The levels of divorce in the church, not all that different than they are in the world. We can go down the list. We are not being salt and light, which brings us all the way back to the victorious cross. Christ paid the price on the cross and he has given you everything you need for life and godliness. I believe if we would live lives like that, the church would be so bright that we would begin to see the nation change. Woo, yeah, glory, it, hallelujah. I, got, <laughs> I, I started feeling a little preaching coming on. I get excited. <laughs> I, I've, seen, I've seen you preach too. Um, yeah, you, one way of expressing what you're just saying is teaching our children to have a passionate dedication to the culture of holy life over against the culture of destructive death, which is what they're being committed to now. Um, and Amen. they've got to understand what the difference is, and they've got to embrace it in such a way that they're not, they don't feel that they're better than their friends outside who are committed to that culture of death, but that they recognize by God's grace, they have been given an understanding of what will lead to life, and they need to be used to, in God's in God's sovereignty 
to help the others come to know what will lead to life as well, rather than what will lead to death and destruction. So, so, all right, we've gone over an hour. How do, uh, how do people get hold of, I'm sure it's only available in academic bookstores and things like, with uh, 600 plus footnotes and things <laughs> like that. It's, uh, you know, probably only available at uh, your local uh, universities and seminary bookstores, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not available at the Kinsey Institute that you no, were talking no, about. No, no, um, no. No, um, unfortunately, at the moment, um, it's only available at my website, johnlcooper.com. Um, the Kindle version is available on Amazon, and it's going to be another few weeks before the book is on Amazon. So go to johnlcooper.com, and um, you can get the book there. I was going to say one other thing, and I can't remember what it was. Um, hardback? I, yes, there, there is a limited edition hardback that's available on the on the website. So you can get that there. There is a quote from Dr. James White in the book and um and from some other folks that, that we will know and um i don't think i have anything else to say about it i think that that pretty much uh <laughs> that pretty much covers it man <laughs> okay john that's how you can get hold of uh the new book and i don't know is it is there a holiday coming up that maybe people might want to you know um give away you know copies to friends and Ear that or, uh, you know, make themselves, you know, persona non grata at Christmas parties uh, because you use that as your white elephant gift, you know, type thing. Uh, that <laughs> <Yeah. would laughs> pray, Never get invited and, back and, uh, by your, the liberals in your family, something along those that's lines. Right. That, that's a possibility. Pray. So, Praying in, God, in God's providence, give this to the person who you know needs it most, and they're going to hate <laughs> you. Yeah, um, no, it, it, I do think it's it, it could be a good gift, and I think, namely, if I could say one more thing, I think it's a good gift for 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 Christians who um, who who are are faithful, but might not quite believe the 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 quote unquote alarmist things that we're saying. And the reason I say that you touched on it earlier, James, I think that we need to get to the place as Christians that we believe what the revolutionaries, we need to believe that they mean what they're saying. In other right. words, when people are cheering on Hamas as Hamas is cheering death to America, we need to believe that these people really want death to America. There's no reason to not believe them. When, when we, when we read the gender theorists say that the, the best way to bring liberation to human beings is to sexualize them as babies. We need to believe that they mean it. I think part of the problem is, is we haven't believed that these people actually mean the radical things that they're saying. They're playing for keeps. They have a totalizing utopian kingdom that is evil. And we need to be to to believe it. So I think it's a good gift for somebody like that. That that you, you they do love God. They're just not awake to the battle yet. Maybe this book will uh will wake them up a little bit. And uh, thanks so much for having me on the show too, by the way, James, and <laughs> for your your faithfulness, for your friendship. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, I want to get the word out. Um, I haven't even asked you yet um, whether you have. Any ideas of follow-up work in the future? Um, there's normally a downtime for me after a book where I don't even think about stuff like that uh, too much. Um, but I just, I just 
there was other one. There was one other thing. If you've got just a minute, I sure. Last week, Ohio. Uh, someone, I think Doug Wilson put it. They they signed their own death warrant, something along those lines. Um, in, in in the murder of unborn children, I couldn't help but think um, about one of the topics that we had uh, last time that we were in the studio together here. Um, in light of what happened in Ohio, uh, when when you heard about the constitutional amendment there and basically abortion up to the point of birth, did Lucy pro- cross your mind at any point as you're thinking about those mm. things? I gotta be honest, no, it did it, but I had two different people text me and say, that, you know, this is reminding me of your song, Lucy. And that, and that remind, I, and cause I just, I've written so many songs I forgot, but I was, I, I will, I won't lie to you. I was, um, I, I, I keep getting annoyed with myself that I'm surprised at the level of, of evil. It, it, in fact, the first chapter, the first chapter in my new book is called "The Death of Naivety," and I, you know, I'm I, I feel like my naivety has pretty much died. I know what we're dealing with, but I'll tell you, brother, things happen. To see people cheering on the that the murder of that, and I think it was something like over seventy percent of single women voted yeah. in Ohio. I, yeah. I, I, the, the the level of this kind of depravity is such a wake up call, and uh, I will I, I'm not going to lie to you. It may I'm I'm embarrassed how sad it made me because I should I should know this already, but I just thought God help us. We are driving off the cliff. We are giddy about driving off the cliff, shouting all the way down, cheering all the way down. And if if we don't have the the church stand up and start finding ways to lovingly convince people that God's ways are reasonable and right and and will lead you to freedom it's going to get bad man it is going to get so bad so yeah that's my little spiel yeah no i i i did i did think about it um that evening uh just simply because the the song speaks to the devastation that these people want to have happen they're, they're rejoicing in it. They, they, and that, this, is, this is what the culture of death is all about. You know, Scripture said it a long time ago. Godly wisdom says, those who hate me love death. If you're going mm-hmm. to hate godly wisdom, you're going to love death. And you don't want to wish death on anyone, but that's exactly what took place in Ohio. It takes place all the time. And in the state houses of California and New York, and um, even up in your neck of the woods, uh, it, uh, it it takes place. So, yeah, we we need to be in in prayer, and we need to be actively seeking to um, inculcate a compassionate yet deep love for the culture of life rather than the culture of death. So. Pick up John's new book, John. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know when you're headed back out our direction at all, uh, but um, I, I know Not you're probably soon. <laughs> <laughs> Not soon, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, you going to be on the road at all in the future? I mean, do you have any idea what's coming up? Well, yeah, we're on the road now, which is why I'm in this um, random hotel room with whatever this painting is behind me. Oh, um, I was going to ask you about that. I thought you were in a really pretty good spot there. I thought, well, you've got a nice. 
Nice place it in the house. And it's like, a, nope, it's a hotel room. Great. It's actually a, a quite a, a nice hotel room. But uh, we are on the road right now, finishing up a tour. We got another 15 shows. Ooh. And um, yes, it's been very busy because I've been promoting the book and doing the concerts. And uh, that's what we're up to. So I don't know when we're coming to see you again. But yeah, people can, of course, go check out Skillet's music, find out what we're doing and, and this and that and the other. All righty, man. Well, uh, you're, are, are, you got, are you the last ones up tonight? Yes, let's see. Actually, we're not playing tonight. T today is a day off, but we played last night in um, Ohio, and I can't remember where. And then tomorrow we're playing Columbus. Well, there you go. Um, you're, you're, you're in the heart of what we were just talking about. So uh, yep. give, them, give them hope uh, and give them life. And thank you for Amen. joining us. And I hope the book uh, does really, really well. And uh, we'll be in touch, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. Have a great one. All righty. God bless. Thank you. All right. And Rich is taking care of all his stuff there. And um, if John can still hear me, I'll text you when we get done. Thanks for watching the program today, folks. And we will see you on the dividing line next time. God bless.